Hey, with Scott Harriet, Unverified is the feature film, winner of Best Feature Film at the Thriller Suspense Film Festival. A film about Bigfoot, I guess, right? Well, yeah. I mean, in the sense of, uh, I really wanted to make a film about Bigfoot that I, from what I'd seen, hadn't been made yet. A lot of them tend to be, you know, that's the marauding monster, teenagers in a cabin, you know, that, you know, people getting killed, knocked off. And uh, since I've been into this topic a long time, since I was a kid and I co-hosted a podcast for seven years called The Bigfoot Show, uh, probably the most interesting issue about Bigfoot to me is if in fact they exist, mm -hmm. and you can also parallel to other unknown animals, the whole kill or no kill in order to verify it, I've always found to be a very interesting ethical question. Which is the moral compass of your of your film, right? The, not right. to give away the film or the ending, but there's a really dynamic ending that has a kind of more moral, and you can be on both sides of the those people. I, when I was watching your film, I was like, I'm on both sides. I can I can yeah. see both points of yeah. view. I, it, it's funny that, and I'm the guy, uh, uh, J. John Bellier, who played the uh, scientist who is uh, pro kill. I didn't want to make him cardboardy, you know. Uh, cartoonishly villainish because yeah. that side of kill i think there are some arguments but i wanted to also portray in my character that you know hey if we have the technology to um to verify something these days especially with dna technology and as we get better why why, why do the unnecessary uh, unnecessary coolness uh and because we wouldn't know how many if something like a sasquatch exists how many are there how are you screwing up a social unit yeah of one of these things so uh, yeah, I'm really happy how John played that uh, with a good amount of humor and drama. And uh, was, yeah, I was happy with that last part of the film. I thought it turned out pretty well. All right. So the first question, I'm sure you get this all the time, is that do you believe in Bigfoot? Like, do you I, believe in Sasquatch? Yeah. Um, I think the probability is high. Really? I also, I also think, obviously, there's a boatload of hoaxes misperceptions, wishful sure. thinking involved. That to me, as a totality, is what, what makes the phenomena really interesting, is this mix. I love the kitschy aspect of, of Bigfoot. I love seeing the cardboard cutouts driving in Northern California, but I also think it's a, it's a bona fide crypto, cryptozoological mystery. And I have to put this in there. I don't know how many people know this, but in 2002, Jane Goodall was on an NPR radio interview and somebody asked her, of, just offhand, do you think there's any large primates left in the world undiscovered? And she said, well, you must, I assume you're talking about the Yeti or the Sasquatch or the Bigfoot. And the host thinking she would take the typical scientific line because, oh, that's that what he's talking about, Dr. Goodall. And she said, quote, well, you might be amazed to know that I'm sure that they exist. And you can almost hear the dun, dun, dun. Yeah. She did backpedal pretty quickly to a position of probability. And then she did at the end say, well, I am, whoa, there was a mic. I am a bit of a romantic. So, so she went from yes to I am a bit of romantic, but she then went on in the subsequent years and uh, gave credence to the search for this type of animal because of her 30 years living with chimps and knowing how secretive they are. Also interviewing Native Americans in the Pacific Northwest and hearing some of the recordings of screams, which in her opinion sounded very primate and not of any known animals. So. Yeah. Now that couple, and I won't take up a lot of time with you, but I'll, if anybody wants to find out about this, 30 years ago, I had something happen to me near the mouth of the Klamath River in California. Well, there's got to be an origin story to your fascination, right? Yeah. Well, that I was fascinated before. This intensified it. Okay. 
the bad news, it takes 20 minutes to tell it. And I know you have a short podcast. So what I'd like to do, I just got interviewed and it's, it's a great little podcast. It's called My Bigfoot Sighting. A guy named Vic Cundiff just got it from me for about five days ago. Yeah. So if you're interested in hearing the full detailed story, go there, Vic Cundiff, My Bigfoot Sighting. It should be up by now. Uh, I, I, I can still, you probably still want a summary, right? It, it, it's, uh, all I can say is, <laughs> it, 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 dude, it was the weirdest thing I ever saw. And it wasn't involved one, but two. What did I see with my own eyes? Friggin' after a sighting had been reported that I had found out about haphazardly from these two kids who I found very believable. A buddy of mine went up and interviewed them. Their stories didn't contradict each other and we interviewed them separately. Um, we ended up going up this hill at the base of which they had this sighting. They said of this whitish ape-like creature. Hour and a half up this hill, we see an animal gave off, I shit you not, glowing red eyes when we started moving toward it. Mm -hmm. Then video, which we then looked at later, that I think, and you have to consider all hoaxing, again, wishful thinking probabilities, is clearly a humanoid shape in this peering at Daryl, the guy who was with me, who had a VHS camera. I had a high eight. So uh, what year was this? Like this is 1992. This okay. was, so this is like before cell phones. This is like when you had to have a, like a big camera to like- Yeah, and we had the cameras with us because the kids had had the sighting a few weeks earlier at the base of this hill. We were going up this hill to get to an old logging road you could see from the valley below thinking that if there was one or however many of these things around here, that maybe there'd be some footprint evidence. That's why we brought the cameras. Mm. And then lo and behold, as we got near the apex of this hill, big thick wall of rhododendron in front of us, saw these eyes, gave off this red glow, which if you read a lot about Sasquatch stuff, supposedly Native Americans talk about this yeah. weird red glow. And we saw that the kid's sighting was, I mean, their testimony I found very compelling. Hair samples we found, a guy in Bay Area looked at them, said they were uh, probably primate and not human, which humans are the only indigenous primates known in North America. Right. And you add it all up. That's why I say people, when people ask me if I had a Bigfoot sign, I say, look, I would bet every dime I've ever made, which isn't a ton of dimes, yeah. but uh, I, I think it was 99.9% .9 that I was within 40 feet of two of these things, given everything that was experienced. Again, if you want more detail, my um, big thing exciting. So that's the or okay. So that's the origin story. So you yeah, yeah. done give people background, you're a documentarian. Yeah. You've done some uh some shows like you're a contributor on CNN, you've done some yeah. other TV shows. Yeah. So you're this is your first narrative film? Yeah, yeah. Um I don't want to give well, you your, your age away, but you're like, this is like you've been doing a lot of probably have a lot of experience. And you have a like established professional career. So what motivated you to finally do a, a narrative film? You know what it was probably more than anything? COVID shut down. It was like my girlfriend and I are kind of shut away. I wasn't, I'd been doing these documentaries, you'd say mostly about hiking along trails and interviewing people, just about the subculture of long distance mm -hmm. hiking. So it's kind of shut down. I said, you know, I always wanted to, to give this a shot. And so I got uh, fade in software and I wanted to put a lot of these thoughts I'd had concerning Sasquatch or the potential of if Sasquatch has ever found the kill, no kill issue, gotcha. and incorporate that into a story. And that, that's how it started. 
So you, okay, so you never, you, did the script, you had an idea in your head and then like for a long time, I'm assuming, and then you kind of sort of, sort of wrote this. No, you know what it was, man? I, I really, I don't like that idea. People say, well, you know, have your ending and then write towards, I hate that. It sounds incredibly boring to me. <laughs> I literally went, I, I like to imagine sitting in a movie theater and a movie, so what would be a cool way a movie starts? Okay, that's cool. Yeah. And what's the next cool scene? Then, and then always bracketing it against, I've seen thousands and thousands of films. I'm, I'm a true film addict. Sure. You know, all the time. So I go, okay, let's go, can we go down the, you, you come to those forks, those logic forks. Yeah. Okay, is that too hacky? Yeah, that's, well, that's kind of original. Yeah, that, okay, go down that path. And you go down that path a little bit. So I, I just keep looking at like a logic tree and keep making it that's hopefully interesting and without, okay, I got to get to point Z. It's That to me, I don't know why, in my, the way my brain works, it just seems boring and cheating in a way, or I feel like the audience would, would, would see, oh, see, he got there because he went, he was trying. But you're to, talking about structure. You, but at the yeah, same time, yeah, as, I don't, as yeah. someone establishes yourself, like when you're making documentaries, you do usually have a structure. You sort of know where you're headed, right? So Right. Well, the, 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 actually with the document, actually, I would say no with these hiking. Maybe this is what's influenced me a lot. Okay. Because I did four documentaries on the Pacific Crest Trail and three on the Appalachian Trail. I hiked all of those trails, like 6,000 miles spread over seven years. And I did interview, it wasn't the plan, by the way. I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna do four documentaries. And I did one, enjoyed it, went out, did another one, did another, and I finally finished each of these trails. I shoot people I meet, what's interesting, what's visually interesting, nature-wise, whatever. And then I would hibernate for three months and just look at the footage. What's the best footage? And then since it's kind of a, an odyssey, if you will, just going out, I, there, the, the only structure, again, I really had was, does it move from point A to point B? And then if you come back to person A at some point, two months later when their beard is full, what have they experienced? Yeah. And I found it worked and people seemed to like it. So I, I did that because as you mentioned also, I'm not, I'm not a spring chicken and it was also a good way to you know exercise and, keep, and be out in the woods, which I love. So um, yeah. I am okay, a fan so you, of structure. I, I get, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm just going to give you people a breakdown. So you kind of like, it was COVID, you decided to write a screenplay. Uh, and then you're just like, instead of having like a structure, you're just writing and kind of like letting, letting the story flow. And then you kind of came up with your ending within, yeah, uh, within the yeah. of writing, I guess, right? Yeah. It, it, it was just like, uh, you know, you, you just check yourself against, you know, you know, I say if one film, oddly enough, which influenced me a lot in this is that I love, it's one of my favorite movies is No Country for Old Men. Sure. The thing about th this notion within the structure of these two forces heading toward a third force, like who's going to get there first type of thing. And I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan. So I just always think when you write something, I like to immediately edit it and think of myself watching a movie because so many times, dude, and I think it's the biggest problem in films today. First, films are too long. I mean, I just think they're so friggin' uh, padded. They're spending $200 million, they wanna get, the, they wanna maximize their, uh, their their value, I guess, right? I guess, or, or it's some logic of like, oh, we gotta have him for two hours. Why? People like shorter movies if it's good. And plus you could have an extra screening that day in the theater. Well, I don't even know if that's even valid, <laughs> even more. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I just love, I saw him a big fan of Scorsese, how he, you know, moves. It, it you know, some and of the He just made like a four hour film about a hitman, right? On Netflix last year. Oh my God. Or, 
I, a perfect example, as far as editing, I mean, yeah. what, it's a two hour and 40 minute film, but are you ever bored during The Departed? The Departed is such a great movie because it's just boom. Advances I understand what you're saying. It's like it's constant motion, I guess, right? Constant motion, but with purpose and evolution of the story. There's, a, yeah, there's an arc to every scene. Yeah. Okay, so your film, so you, you wrote the screenplay, then you're like, okay, I'm just going to go out, like, because it's, it's shot like a documentary, I guess, right? So when you're watching you know, it for the first time, you're like, is like you're you're like you're you're in the camera's like it's, it's like handheld camera. You're in the faces of all the of all the performers. You're like, are these people real? Like it's almost got that vibe when you're watching. It. Yeah, that's so weird. I I don't maybe I, I don't I don't know. My my cinematographer Mark David, good guy who was really found via a friend on Facebook. I'd written this script. I put a notice up on on Facebook because I you know I got some Facebook friends from my films and I say, hey, look, I'm looking. Thinking about shooting this, I wanted to go real low budget with it. But Mark, as convincing as he is, convinced me to go higher as far as budget, better quality, using an RE on this. Sure. And uh, uh, well, I just lost my train of thought, dude. What was the question? No, the, the, the style, the directorial style. Yeah, the style. Like a lot it's of so, handheld outside. Yeah. It's like a... I, I liked that, but I felt, too, it wasn't super like uh, Blair Witch or Exist hyper, yeah. you know, like this. Um, uh, I just wanted it simple. That was the main thing because of our budget. Uh, we shot it in 10 days. It was, it was an intense shoot, uh, overall great crew. And, you know, Mark was really, because he had directed some stuff. So he was a great calming influence. His wife, who plays my wife, Lorna Larkin, who I was lucky to have her because she's done some really good film work. That was, all, and then he knew, this guy and then and then yeah. i went on backstage.com to get the rest of the i just looked for like three days i'm back okay that guy's cool like the guy who played terry the guy who's the he was great uh, uh mark sivertson why isn't this guy working more i mean i thought he was really he played he played the uh the uh the kind of kaczynski character the guy who lives in the shack yeah who we learned that story about <laughs> kaczynski character yeah <laughs> i don't even know if like anybody under 30 will even get that's a funny reference so, yeah uh, I, but uh, but the, the, there's some, some interesting moments in your film uh, where I think it's your character. You're going into the woods and it just shows how how long these woods have been there. Like these trees are, are enormous and how tiny you are in comparison to this vast forest, I guess. Yeah. Where did you yeah. go where did you shoot this? OK, all, all over parts of northern California. OK, really fortunate. The house we used. This was a, a place I found on VRBO, dude. I went on there and I thought, oh, this is great. This is just, it's like the farthest, I live in LA, right? So this is just north of San Francisco and it's where the real thick woods kind of start. And this guy owns this and about 155 acres of land, it's private. So I communicated with him saying, hey, I'm trying to make this movie. And I think he gave us a reasonable deal on what to use it for. Uh, I think it was eight, eight days we had it. So we had some of the crew staying there. Um, and, and then it was funny when we got there, Mark was first day we're scouting the cinematographer and he's, he had shot a film in Oregon, which is even denser vegetation, right? And he goes, dude, we're gonna need a blah blah lens to make this look even thicker. I go, really? He goes, yeah. And I thought, oh, great, another freaking cost, right? But 800, we got something, sent a guy down to San Francisco, 800 bucks, brought it back. And it did on some of those shots. It really added some depth. I mean, it was it was thick, but mm. that lens that Mark decided to use really aided, I think, in giving that 
um, uh, squatchiness yeah. to the environs, you know. And so you just got these characters that like like they're they're real people, right? Like if this was a Hollywood movie, everybody'd be 25 years old. It's like like yeah. I'm not saying like they're just like they, these are who these guys that people are. They've been they've been following something for decades and they they got this fascination, they understand the woods, they understand this culture. And uh, and then there we go. And then at the same time, that the subtitle the, or the, the thematic or whatever you want, the elephant in the room is always, the, or the Sasquatch in the room is always the Sasquatch. Like, does this thing exist? Are we going to see it? It's yeah, almost yeah, like yeah, the, yeah. The, 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 the the Jaws whale in a sense, right? Like, are we going to see this Sasquatch while we're watching the film? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, yeah, I'm trying, not, I'm trying not to give anything away here, but um, yeah, you know, some feedback I've had, you know, yeah, and I knew this was going to happen, but you wonder, Dude, what are you kidding? You only did, I can't believe it. You know, it's like, I really, you know, I'm a, let me just put it this way without specifically saying anything. It's like, I'm a huge fan of the movie, The, the, the Haunting, yeah. which is 1963, black and white, Robert Wise, who worked on Citizen Kane, really good, creepy film. And it's all very, it's suggestion. Blair Witch, add that in there too, or we don't have to see because to, to me, I mean, Hitchcock was big on that, and uh, I feel if I'm trying to at least at least try to emulate that uh, again and again, coupled with our budget, yeah, you, I think you know where I'm going. Without anybody with half a brain's already figured out what I'm saying anyway, but um, yeah, I wanted that. I wanted to try to see if I could do that, and I was, you know, I, I, I'm I'm pretty happy with how it turned out i mean there's always things you always go back up. of course yeah no it's like it, like i said it has that kind of like where the because because the camera is always like handheld and we're always moving and you have some like long long kind of like as you picturesque shots of the woods we're always interested in we're always like we're always kind of like on the on the edge there's a certain there's a certain like tension happening all the time i guess yeah right? and um yeah i really want to uh, actually make a quick mention too uh, what I did musically with this film, because I was really happy with, you know, you see so many films, you see it's by this. I went down the road of, uh, are you familiar with Pond 5? You know, P Pond 5 is a, where you can buy bit, uh, music from yeah. people who put it up there. So this one guy wanted to score it for me and real nice guy. And, he, and then he sent me these samples. It just wasn't it, man. It wasn't, I think like if you're, if you're passionate about a project, I think a la like John Carpenter, original Halloween, who did the music for his, you gotta, you have to make those decisions and you have to feel it. So I went and there were, there's actually 23, 24, 25 different pieces of music that I use in the film that I just felt this scene works there. And then I echo it back later. And I was really happy. And that's people, people have shown it personally to really like the music a lot with it. And I, uh, the effectiveness of like low drones, yeah. which are used a lot, just just to keep just to enhance, hopefully, what's going on in the screen. So, uh, I say, I guess one reason I'm telling is anybody out there watching, don't be afraid to go down that road. Don't feel like you have to have one person, although it's because it's the way Hollywood does it. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of good composers who put their stuff out online. You do have to pay, but if you're using bits and pieces and you do, and you have a low budget production. It can be 100%. relatively cheap compared to paying yeah, much then, more. Then, then, but then also the composers get get free, you know, or not? Well, they get paid a little bit, but they also get exposure on the. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly. 
So, okay, so the film, like I said, it has this climax. We said we don't want to give everything away because you want yeah. people to watch your film, but yeah. so that's the that's sort of, it's all leading up to that. So you, you as you said, you never had the ending and when you, until the until yeah. you wrote it, but which is interesting, but like the whole film was about that ending, right? We're all kind I, of- I think- you're, like you said, like in Lone Country for Old Men, everybody's kind of converging into that, into that corner, right? To that one, who's, who's going to get there yeah. first? What's going to happen? Who's going to win? Who's going to lose, I guess, right? Kind of, you know, it, I think I got lucky in that sense. Or was I'm writing it, um, you know, I've ever, I mean, my, my girlfriend, uh, Corey, she's awesome. And she's, you know, used to be a film editor. And, and so I share stuff with her. And so... I can't remember exactly when I came up with that, or I, but I knew that that probably we had to have a showdown of sorts, as you say. Yeah. But again, you got to be thinking, well, how it, it's kind of a classic motif, but you don't want to be hacky about it. You don't want to be uh, the way it's you tr do it in a unique way. And I think the actors I was lucky enough to find in Jay John and in Sivertson and in. Um, uh, Brad, who played kind of my core, he was great. Brad Fowler was found through Mark. He'd been, he's been in a lot of Mark David's films. He was great because he was funny. In fact, it was one of these th weird things, dude. As we were shooting, he ad-libbed a lot. And I thought at the time, oh, dude, he's being too goofy. I want it to be more subtle. And then when I started editing, I'm like, yeah. thank God, dude. It was perfect. You were a lot drier than I thought. And it's helping to balance out some of the drama. So I uh, I'd love to work with Brad. Brad Fowler's his name. He's a great guy and he's a really good actor. So, so you edit, so you wrote it, you edited, you also edited, put, put the whole film together yourself? Like a yes. Yeah, yeah. I edited it myself. Uh, I had a sound mixer, Elon Menken, local kid. Um, but other than that, I, yeah. Uh, and believe me, dude, I am, you can already tell, a bit, bit scatterbrained, but I edited all my documentaries. So, and I did it on Final Cut Pro. 10 and uh so i was constantly and then we had a great colorist in uh, dylan dylan sultan uh who, who we knew through mark he had just really liked the way like we were shooting he was already doing some coloring and i said dude that's it had that kind of brownish almost like a godfather uh you know uh, emphasis on the browns i really like that and so yeah also i want to shout out to a I've only, this is only the first film I did, but there was a guy on this crew named Paul Meehan. Paul, anybody, old dude, older dude, crusty as hell, but just the nicest, wisest guy. So if you ever need a good gaffer, Paul Meehan, find him. He was like, he was like a Buddha out there for us, calming things down. So the, we sent you the audience feedback video. What did you think about the, what the audience had to say about your film? Well, I would, how much did you pay him? No, I'm kidding. Uh, no, it was great. It was really, audience uh, members, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was, um, yeah, it, it, it was nice. It, it was nice to see someone you you don't know directly getting the feedback. There was a one kid. A one, it's funny. I liked all the feedback. There was a kid, uh, African-American kid. And he was saying, and I liked how he put it. I mean, he was saying the other things that other folks were saying, but he said, he was kind of insinuating. Anyway, well, we know that you know Bigfoot is not real, but he uses it as an analogy. <laughs> I go, dude, I really do think they're real, but you're making good points. <laughs> yeah, it was so funny. I'm like, he thought, oh yeah, he's using the Bigfoot thing as an analogy. Yeah, it serves as that, but uh, 
people, that's the thing amazingly about film. You said you're you're a big movie watcher. Is uh, if you're is everybody has their own interpretation, right? Like yeah. that's like they can they can they can see the the point of view of the film whatever they want. And I think your film really is about nature, right? About yeah. like preserving nature, not like having it like not like it's sort of like we're we're uh, the evolved species as man, but at the same time it's like. We're not we're not almighty powerful, I guess, right? Like why? Yeah, why? yeah. I would I would say partly, and then also just this this notion of you know that that it's come through a, a lot of religious thought is that we have dominion over nature. But you know what? It's always better when when cruelty isn't necessary, when you yeah. don't have to kill something in order to get your end. Like if you're if you're starving in the woods, sure, everything's fair game. Survival mode. Yeah, we're past survival mode. Yeah, yeah, but, but but as far as ver again, hence the title, or related to the title, verifying how how people well we have to verify, uh, and the only way we can do that is to kill one. I go well, okay, let's think about that a little bit, and maybe there's a way in some instances, maybe going forward in the future, uh, we don't have to do that. Yeah, and especially something like if such a thing as Sasquatches exist, I think most people, if you polled them, hey, would you like to see a Sasquatch in a zoo? Most people probably eighty percent. No, it's yeah. horrible. But I mean, did King Kong teach us nothing? You know, it's. <laughs> but, yeah, no, it's just that. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot too. There's the capitalistic kind of like cowboyish kind of like I got my, I got my. You know, it's sort of like the hunters, right? Like uh, we were. To, we were it's like I got my 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 lion in, in the safari or something like that. Right. It's like I got my catch, right? So exactly. And, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a machismo thing. Look, I got, I got the head on the wall. I got all that. And I go, you know, and my, my response to it, as someone who is at least not yet in their life a vegetarian, I'm like, yeah, you know, if you ate this or you gave it to someone to eat it, then fine. It's a little gaudy to put its head up like you're dominating. But when people go out, that's what I, I hate when I hear about catch and release to me bothers me. Oh, I don't. I don't like getting the trout. I yeah. I catch it and then I release it. So I put it through all this pain. I'm going to traumatize them. I'm not, I'm yeah. not killing it. Yeah. Okay. Well, then why are you fishing? Just to satisfy your. They're going to have PTSD for the rest of their lives to fish. So you might as well just kill them, right? Exactly. Yeah. Eat it now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Well, congratulations on the film. I hope it's serving you well. It's uh, it's a really fun. It's 75 minutes. It's a really fun film to watch. Uh, you're in it as well, and it's like I said, it's got that documentary kind of vibe to it where. Obviously, there's a narrative. People are people are are acting, but at the same time, you feel that these characters are real. The way you shot it, so good job. Thanks. I I have to say something real quick because it was so funny. Just to let you know, you know, I have it on Amazon now, and okay. it's it's doing, actually doing it's doing pretty well. But as I expected, you know, I'd get some. You know, there's, there's been some one star reviews and people sure. writing, and and I'm like, well, first one was, hey, I didn't pick this film. I hit it by accident. So they give me. One star, I'm like, dude, Amazon, please take that up reviewing my film. But another one, it was yeah. hilarious. This guy goes, Oh, everything big, bad acting, bad story, hokey things. Also, he put he uses some uh titling and it's not a documentary. Yeah, I go, What? So, I guess everything that Tarantino ever did is bad because he used fonting to explain something. Yeah, I would, like that's only you can do that in documentaries. I'm like. Well, that's that's the audience, though, right? Like you're oh, going on Twitter, go on Instagram. Like I, I can do the greatest thing in the world, and I'm going to get shit on, right? So it's like that's, that's what, how it works. By the way, I recommend, and I, I've done this. If you get like a one star on something, 
immediately go to either like Shawshank Redemption or Citizen Kane yeah. on Amazon and look at the one one stars and look at how many people are why they're giving it one stars. So there's always it's it's nearly impossible to please everyone. But exactly, you know. Exactly. Listen, it's a good film. It's your it's your first film. It's awesome. Let's see. Hopefully, we make another one, and uh, we'll talk we'll talk again when you make your your sequel. Okay, Matthew. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate it. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Shlemiel, Shlemazel, Hasenbeck Incorporated.